Hello, everybody, and welcome to a joint episode of a podcast uh, that you're tuning into. We have two great podcasts here, Gyrish Talk and Lunch Pail Guys. Um, and we're going to do an episode together about one of our great shared interests in Notre Dame football. So we'll each start introducing ourselves, and we'll start with the guys from Gyrish Talk. Yeah, I'm, I'm Brett, uh, co-founder of the Gyrish Talk podcast, as you mentioned, a Notre Dame football fo- uh, football podcast, primarily from a data and analytics lens. We, we try to dive into things that's more than just yards, more than just points, get into success rate, have a great um, efficiency metrics, and a, a bunch of other interesting takes that you know, you, you're not going to hear covered by ESPN. That's kind of our angle to approaching Notre Dame football, along with my co-host, Mike. Yep. And like Brett said, I'm the other co-host. Brett and I, we've known each other for a long time. We're classmates, graduated in 2014. We've just stayed in touch. Football has been just an integral part of our, the DNA and our friendship and, and our friend group. And um, yeah, so we've been doing it for, we've been doing this podcast for the last two seasons. And as Brett said, a key element of our podcast is we really try to integrate data-driven uh, analyses, takes, we try to avoid hot takes. At the end of the day, of course, we're fans. So I would be lying to you if I told you that when Brett and I are watching games, we don't occasionally yell a hot take to each other. I will say the difference, though, is like certainly once we get past the emotion of the game, we we try to sit down, we look at the, you know, try to have think through it with a clear head, look at the data, what what, what is that saying, and then we use that to kind of inform uh, our opinions about what happened in the game, what we should do moving forward, and and, and so on. And so for our listeners, uh, tell us a little bit about the Lunch Pill guys. Yeah, so I'll start. Um, I'm Lucas. Jared and I uh, started this podcast, I think, three seasons ago. We're both also Notre Dame grads, class of 2019. Um, and yeah, as pretty much integral to our relationship as friends, along with a couple other of our friends that do the podcast, has been following along with Notre Dame football. So we started this podcast a few years back as a way to sort of keep that up and have sort of carried it forward to this day. Um, I'll let Jared you introduce yourself as well. Yeah, as Lucas said, uh, Notre Dame grad from the West Coast, from Washington State. Um, so I definitely try to get in some Pac-12 talk when we can. On our on the Lunch Pail Guys podcast, we talk all sports, not just uh, Notre Dame or not just college football. But we we have a main focus on college football, NFL. Me and Lucas also got into Formula One too, so that's also something that that props up uh, every once in a while too. But um, everything all sports are fair game for us. So. Yeah. All right. So we'll just jump right in then. I think with our first topic, we have three things we're going to cover today is just sort of an off-season Notre Dame wrap-up, sort of taking stock of things where we are early March 2023. Um, And we are going to start with Notre Dame's new offensive coordinator. As those of you who are following Notre Dame football probably know, uh, Tommy Reese, Notre Dame's former offensive coordinator, uh, left for Alabama within the last month. And in this place, they hired Jared Parker, who had previously served as the tight ends coach. So looking at it from all of your perspectives, um, what do we think the chances that Parker can make a splash and be a success as the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame? So I, I'll, I'll kick this one off, Brett. I think from my perspective, I think you have to separate the process and then and then the offensive coordinator. So I, I think, you know, I, look, I think he could be good. Certainly Michael Mayer has had a lot of really good things to say about him. Marcus Freeman thinks very highly of him. He's apparently a very dogged charismatic recruiter i think that's a really important element for our coaching staff that's something that marcus freeman values and in the modern college football landscape that's just something that you have to have now in terms of how he's going to be when it comes to 
calling plays, how he's going to be able to get the most out of our players. That's something that we don't really know. I think he, he certainly did a good job with the tight end. So there are some early signs that he could be someone that'll do a good job. Um, so I think separating him from the process, I, I think certainly he could be someone who would be good. But there's there's still a lot that we don't know. So it's definitely a bit of a TBD. I think he maintains some of the culture on the offensive side of the ball. It gives us a little continuity when we've lost a, lot, a couple coaches on that side of the ball. So th- those are positives. Now, shifting a little bit to the other point that I had mentioned, which is the process. I'm just going to touch on this a little bit because I think everyone can agree that that was not was not a very not a, a very good process. The optics of it weren't great. Um, it seemed like we were, we had a couple other people higher on our list that we wanted and we struck out with them in one instance. And there's, there's a bit of a debate about what exactly transpired, but it looked like we weren't willing to pay buyout money at, at, at a certain point in time. And then Jack Swarbrick basically said, no, that's not true. We were willing to pay it. If you ask me personally, I think what happened is there was Intel that we had that was off on the amount of the buyout. Then we found out and then we kind of dragged our feet a little bit. And while we were dragging our feet, it seems like that's when that's when uh, that's when there was essentially, you know, there was cold feet and then and then he bailed and stayed at Utah. So I, I think that's probably what happened. We probably didn't move quickly enough, but certainly bad optics. It made it look like our program wasn't um, willing to, to spend the money may or may not be true. But putting all that aside, I do think I do think uh, Jared Parker, I, I think there, there are some elements. There are a lot of elements here to like with them. And a lot of times the underdog in these situations ends up surprising, um, you know, surprising people with how effective they can be. Yeah, my, my take's pretty similar to Mike. You know, I think one of the things that stood out to me going through this coordinator search was how everyone was looking for a big, splashy hire. You had Joe Moorhead out there and Byron Leftwich, so, you know, guys that were either power five head coaches, very well known, or offensive coordinators in the NFL. And look, that is how Nick Saban and, you know, Jim, uh, Ryan Day at Ohio State going out and getting Jim Knowles, the, the Oklahoma State defensive coordinator, like those top programs, Georgia now, when they went out and got Todd Munkin, uh, who, who is also an NFL coordinator, those three programs go out and poach big names. Not many other programs do. So would have I like to have had a big splashy hire to feel like I'm in that upper echelon? Sure. But I don't think Notre Dame fans should realistically think they're at the level of Ohio State, Georgia, or Alabama right now. Like We're, we're just not as a program. And if you look at a, a very long-tenured success of the Brian Kelly era, I think the only coordinator that he brought in who had prior Power 5 coordinator experience was Brian Van Gorder. So we had a lot of really okay. successful coordinators who were QB coaches or were a group of five or came from within. So none of that concerns me that much. What maybe more concerns me is like Andy Ludwig put out four straight top 25 offenses, mm-hmm. according to SP plus mm-hmm. at Utah with way less talent. Mm-hmm. A- Andy Ludwig would have been a great fit. And, and I was getting really excited when I saw him at a Notre Dame hockey game with with Marcus Freeman so I think the bigger concern is with Andy Ludwig we would have known what we were getting um and I don't think a lot of people necessarily would have thought that was a huge splashy hire though I I was really high on it um I agree with Mike the process on parading Andy Ludwig around at a Notre Dame hockey game with Marcus Freeman felt like a done deal like that's that's just like a Cleveland Browns hiring situation (laughs) gone wrong like you just can't have that process I have no issues with Jared Parker. You just can't go down that far with Andy Ludwig and make it that public. 
Um, the big question though is Jared Parker, I don't think was the play caller when he was the West Virginia offensive coordinator. Obviously wasn't here as the tight end coach. So I just don't think we have a good view of what that offense looks like. Is he explosive? Is he run the damn ball? Is he like, where's he fit in that? Um, is, is kind of TBD. And I don't think we'll know until September. Yeah. And I will say, I think if we went into this process and Freeman immediately identified Parker as one of his top candidates and he just came in and said, I am really comfortable with Parker. I respect him a ton as a football coach. I don't think we need to do an extensive coaching search. We'll certainly look around, but if he had clearly, I kind of identified him early on as a top candidate. I think the optics would be much, much different. It's just how it played out. It seemed like we were, we were gunning for someone else and there were a lot of interesting names out there. And then it just seemed like we, we fell short and we settled and, I think I think that is what happened. That doesn't mean that, that Parker won't be good, uh, but it is a question mark, as Brett said, from a play calling standpoint. We don't really know we don't really know what we're going to be getting, um, as opposed to someone like Tommy Reese. It seemed like he had uh, certainly there there are pros and cons to Tommy Reese, but I think um, I think there were certainly moments in this past season where you could you could see someone growing into a play calling role where they're getting comfortable and at times would be playing would effectively be playing the chess of the football game at a high level. Not always. Sometimes you know our offense would. Uh, with lag and, and and we couldn't get things going but there were i can think of uh, several times this season where i'd be like oh wow that was like a very savvy smart play call by tommy reese um and we have we have no idea what we're going to get with with parker on that on that front yeah i think this the thing that will give me a little bit of confidence is that i think overall we still do have a lot of talent on the roster and because of our acc tie-ins we usually have a pretty favorable schedule right now with how the acc is pretty weak um, obviously, we're going to have tough games against Ohio State, USC, Clemson this year, too. But um, things that like we can rely on, like our offensive line is still going to be very good, even though Harry High stands left. Um, he wasn't our coach from, what, 2017 to 2021, and we still had really good running games. Like Liam Eikenberg developed into a consensus All-American in that point, too. So I think we still have that kind of core Notre Dame identity to rely on, which will be a, definitely a nice little... Um, boost for Parker there for sure. Yeah, and I think I'm. I think like which is one last point I'm going to make is I think that's part of the disappointment too, and in, and in, in not getting the splashy hire. And as Brett said, maybe it's not realistic to get one of these people, but I it does seem like a pretty good situation offensively, as you mentioned the offensive line. That's a good spot. We have Hartman potentially a, a game changing quarterback. I feel like someone coming in that's a that's a really attractive. Uh, offensive coordinator position and then you got to think that our, our wide receivers are going to take some steps forward too we have a lot of talent at the running back position tight end as well it feels like it, it sh- uh, should have been a very attractive uh, destination if we wanted to make that splashy hire yeah and I think that's just a part of my struggles with this have been sort of the expectation setting versus what actually turned out because I was never necessarily on the train that Notre Dame was at the level of a program that could go out and make you know the Byron Leftwich type hire but that being said, Andy Ludwig, like you had both alluded to, was somebody who I think is reasonable for that Notre Dame can hire, drawing from another Power 5 program with less talent to, in theory, more of an attractive position. But then just falling short of even that and seeming like Parker was only hired just because he was who was left. And again, maybe that's not the case. Maybe Freeman had liked him early on, but it seems like with bringing Ludwig to the hockey game and just sort of going through it in that interview process that that's sort of who he wanted. Um, in addition to that, it's, again, something you both had alluded on, is just sort of the unknown of what the offense is going to look like under Parker. Yes, I think there'll be some continuity. Um, he's inheriting a system from Reese. It's not like he's an outside hire, so he can bring that forward. But, yeah, he has very limited play-calling experience. When he was the offensive coordinator at West Virginia, 
he ticked up about 90 yards per game from 2019 the year before he was hired till 2020 the year he was hired but again he didn't really have play calling responsibilities there in addition to that his only other sort of moderate experience being involved in any sort of large role in the offense was at Penn State in 2019 when he was the passing game coordinator but again sort of limited involvement there though they did rank 15th nationally in passing offense that year so uh, there are some sort of small indicators but he just to me, the and again, I have nothing against him. I think he has every chance of success given the continuity in the program and support from Freeman, but it just still remains sort of an unknown quantity in the way that a Ludwig might not have. And, and Lucas, building on that, I mean, at some point we got to start asking the question, what's Marcus Freeman's offense look like? like he, yeah. he is the head coach. I know he's a defensive-minded guy. And for all of the criticism you want to have or not have about Brian Kelly, I, I tend to be a more pro beekeeper. BK guy than probably most covering Notre Dame football Mm -hmm. but for everything he lacked in player development and being a player coach and everything else his assistants loved him and a lot of them didn't do well when they left right Mike Sanford really struggled Chuck Martin took a while to get going at Miami of Ohio Bob Diaco obviously flopped in in his roles post BK and so he was really great at bringing the best out of his coordinators Kind of regardless of who the coordinator was, like realistically, BVG was the only major failure. Maybe you mm-hmm. put Chip Long in that bucket. Um, like, like he made pretty much every coordinator on both the offensive and defensive side of the football work with what Brian was trying to accomplish and, and still molding to them. Now that's a huge question on Marcus Freeman. The, the big question was, can he be the CEO coach? Well, now really twice in two years, he's got to go out and hire a coordinator. And that's part of running a big time program and then molding that into what you want it to be. And I'm a little nervous when I hear in press conferences throughout the year that his only input on Tommy Reese's play calling was to throttle back and run the ball more in certain situations and not be as aggressive. If you even look at at Georgia, this juggernaut defense, back to back titles, everyone kind of thinks they're this like run the damn ball, ball control, ball control, ball control. It's not totally true. Like they were number 12th in the country this year in chunk plays of 10 yards or more and 16th in chunk plays of 20 yards or more like they brought in Todd Munkin to open things up Stetson Bennett was a Heisman candidate um, as a QB now I get it it's not explosive like the Joe Brady Joe Burrow Lamar uh, you know Jamar Chase tandem at LSU or Bryce Young or Mac Jones like I I get it it's not some of those but to win a national title you just have to have an explosive offense and that's largely going to come through the past game in the modern football era. And I'm a little nervous about how Freeman tinkers into that world and, and really see if this is finally with a good quarterback, finally not dealing with injuries or freshmen or whatever the excuses were the last couple of years. Are they going to open things up? Um, it's just a huge question mark right now. Yeah, Brett. And I think just kind of building on that, just some comments Parker made early on. So I, I thought he looked impressive in his, his first press conference. He generally answered the questions really well. It seemed pretty engaging, had good responses for everything. He did He did say, and I guess some of his one of his responses was, was a little bit of a mixed bag for me. So he certainly said, okay, we need, a, we need to be able to run the ball. We need to lean into that. So I... I think that's certainly fine. We have a good offensive line. We have good running backs. But I think both of us, we, we talked about this, we were both hoping that he would kind of maybe show a little bit more willingness, especially with someone like Sam Hartman um, on the team now, potentially yeah. maybe 
shift the focus a little bit to, hey, you know what? Like, we know we're going to have an effective running game. Maybe you don't phrase it that way. But we, we think that we have some assets. We have some players now where we could actually start pushing the ball downfield. And I didn't hear a whole lot of that. I will say that he did mention that he's going to play to the strengths of the team. And you always like to hear that because sometimes you'll get a coordinator and they're just they're very rigid about their system about the way that they want to play and they don't adapt to the personnel so I, I thought that that you know maybe that was a that was a positive comment here and if certainly if you have someone like Sam Hartman maybe he will end up pushing it downfield but that wasn't that wasn't something that was a point of emphasis in, in this press conference so um, I think based on those comments I'm kind of waiting to see what we're going to do from a, from a vertical passing game standpoint I'd like to think we open it up more but if you if Marcus Freeman's instinct is to you know, run the ball a lot and, and maybe not and be a little bit more conservative and not and push it downfield. Um, that could that could kind of uh, that could kind of like make its way down to, to Parker. And he may he may may kind of like incentivize him to kind of, you know, play that style of ball than rather trying to push it and generate an elite offense. Yeah. I think, Lucas, to the next to the next part on. Notre Dame, does this show that Notre Dame can't compete with the major programs? Obviously, Brett and Michael, you've already touched on it, that we're not the Alabamas. Like, Tommy Reese leaving to Alabama is not a lateral a lateral move because it's Alabama, basically. At some point, we do need to make that jump, though. Or or at maybe just accept that, okay, we're just never going to be that program again, which I definitely don't want to accept. Um, I think all the coaches leaving, I don't think it's necessarily all related, that like Harry Highstand left. We also just lost Brian Mason, our special teams coordinator, to the Colts, unfortunately. Tommy Race leaving, like all of that happening at once. It's just, my worry is just the instability, potentially. And like you said, I, I think, Brett, you brought this up about Marcus Freeman needing to step up to be the CEO role, where when he was hired, Swarbick was like, we don't really need a CEO role because of where the program is now. That's kind of where I'm a little bit worried. And back to like the whole buyout thing, even if we were getting conflicting numbers, I find it maybe a little uh scary that we weren't like willing to pay like even a five million dollar buyout or whatever ended up i think it ended up being a two million dollar buyout but if we were getting conflicting numbers and we were like trying to weigh if that was the right price or not i feel like that's a little concerning and even the fact that marcus freeman like you said brought him very publicly to a hockey game like does that mean there that freeman was trying to pressure the notre dame brass to make a decision and then there's conflict there, or does it mean that our PR, PR like comms team is kind of dysfunctional and letting all this stuff leak out? Maybe it was the Utah side that leaked out the obstacle about the buyout, but I think to, a lot of that be, just was it just didn't look good. And I'm I'm kind of worried yeah, about it. I, I don't think Swarbrick got his homework done on the buyout before the hot because the hockey game is clearly very intentional. Yeah, and and Swarbrick, by the way, Swarbrick was sitting on the other side of Ludwig in all those pictures. Like it was Freeman, Ludwig, Swarbrick's. Like that was clearly joint effort. Um, to to me, I think our initial reaction was, "Wow, two point eight million. Notre Dame really can't pony that up." Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, that's over five percent of the annual revenue of the football program from from TV. And I get it. There's boosters, but at the end of the day, like dollars are finite. And so if you said $2.8 million is a year and a half to two years of a coordinator salary or $2.8 million towards NIL fund or $2.8 million towards um, more private jets for recruiting, like $2.8 million is, if I think, the entire coaching salary excluding the coordinators and head coaches. So there's a lot of places you can go and park uh, $2.8 million. So I don't want to sneeze at that. Like that, that's a really big number. 
And the other way to think about it is good coordinators don't stay at the next job for that long either, right? If Andy Ludwig mm-hmm. comes here and is super successful, it, like if he's as successful as we want him to be, coordinators should never be at Notre Dame for more than three years or they should be getting a head coaching job somewhere, right? Yeah, they should be point. doing what Tom Reese has done. They should be doing what Elko's doing. They should be doing what Clark Lee's doing. So $2.8 million spread over a two or three year window if it's successful is a big chunk of change. Um, that being said, Jared, I, I agree with everything kind of in the earlier part of your response of just, yeah, it's an acknowledgement. We're not at that Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. It's kind of a chicken and the egg. Like, do you start getting, you know, the coaches first or do the coaches follow once you start winning? Like Dabo Sweeney did it for a really long time, only promoting from within and not bringing anyone from the outside. Um, Nick Saban, obviously kind of a different path, but he came in with so much gravitas to begin with when, when he came back from the Dolphins to Bama. So I, I think it's just kind of different, right? Um, so it's sometimes hard to compare and contrast those programs. But I think if you're consistently in the top 10 and you consistently have the resources available, at some point you've got to start making splashier hires. I'd like to say we're on the cusp of that and this just didn't happen. But I also think you can be successful promoting from within. Like I, I don't think it's a death sentence to the program that we didn't make a splashier hire. Um, and I don't think it shows the, you know, the program's not willing to spend the money. Like that's real dollars that this isn't kind of some rounding air. Um, so I'm somewhere in, be- in between, I think on that answer. Yeah. I think the more that I've let it settle, I, I think I'm somewhere in the middle too. I mean, I think as we talked about the optics, we're very poor. We're, you just got to look at where we're at right now in college football. I think there's, there's a lot of sensitivity to, with college football programs, with whether or not they're going to be able to keep up in this in this current environment, because everyone's laser focused on NIL, how much how much we're going to have to pay for that, how much uh, you know how much you're going to have to keep up with facilities, uh, you know, conference realignment, are, is our media rights yeah. deal is that going to be able to keep us competitive when Big Ten teams could be making somewhere around hundred million dollars a year? So I think all that's going on, and people, especially Notre Dame fans, are a little a little worried that um, basically that. Uh, you know, we're not going to be able to pony up the cash and be aggressive and, and compete. So I think I think that's that's a big element here with with the reaction and why it was so received so poorly. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right, we're going to keep talking a little bit more about Notre Dame's future, how it gets closer to that title. Uh, but first, we have a message from our sponsors. This episode of the Lunchpail Guys podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. It's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hands with DraftKings Sportsbooks an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook today, opt in, and place a same-game parlay on an NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. Download the app now and sign with code TPPN. New customers can bet just $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TPPN. All right, so on a Garage Talk podcast episode, uh, you guys had discussed that Notre Dame to win a national championship needs to either get a top five quarterback or a top five defense. This is sort of the method for success in uh, college football going forward. So I'm going to throw out the question, 
which of these do you think is more likely for Notre Dame to happen? That they sort of pursue the route of finding a top five quarterback and running that to a national title or moving towards a top five defense as a route to the title instead. Yeah. And I'd maybe just clarify that take here a little bit to to answer the question. It was really to consistently be a top 25 program. You got to have great offensive and defensive lines. And I think we've established Mm -hmm. that. That's why we are consistently now a top 25 program. Mm -hmm. And then to really get over the cusp, the formula is elite QB play and elite outside play with wide receivers and cornerbacks. And so, the way I kind of break it down is, are we either going to get an elite outside passing game and really transcendent QB with a bunch of weapons, or are you going to get lockdown corners that can shut down another team's? And frankly, you maybe need both. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like we're snake bitten on converting top 100 QB recruits for a long time now. Malik Zaire, Brandon Wimbush, Everett mm-hmm. Golson, um, Phil Jerkovich. Um, Tyler Buckner's TBD, but like, you know, hasn't been the greatest start, even just staying healthy. Um, we'll see. I, I think he has a ton of upside. Um, but at some point, you probably got to crack that code. Like, assuming you're going to win national championships with the Stetson Bennett of the world, who, by the way, obviously developed into a great quarterback, but just from a pedigree perspective, didn't get there. Um, it feels like that guy might be walking in the room with CJ Carr. Like, he'll be the highest rated. Notre Dame QB if that commitment holds throughout his recruiting process and cornerback on the other side I still don't feel super great about like everyone's super pumped on Ben Morrison we forget though Ben Morrison was cuspy top 300 he wasn't like a bona fide top 100 uh, recruit Jaden Mickey was actually higher than that around 200 and then we've got Micah Gray coming in who's who who is a bona fide high-end four-star I think he's around 50 60 according to most recruiting rankings, but that's three top 300-ish QB uh, corners in two cycles. That's not enough. Like you've got to have two or three every single cycle. And right now we're like one, maybe two. And, and like, I just don't think we're generating enough cornerback quantity of quality, if that makes sense, where we're then relying on a lower end four star like Ben Morrison or become a revelation or a three star Julian Love to become a revelation. Um that's an area that I still think for all the efforts that um you know Freeman's made on defensive recruiting isn't quite there. And if I look ahead to say a CJ Carr coming in the room and the you know plethora now of underclassmen top three hundred wide receivers someone out of that room's got to develop to support C.J. Carr. So I feel better about transcendent QB play getting us there over a plethora of lockdown corners, but we might need both. Yeah, I, I think our formula is more the Clemson formula to elite status. So certainly they had, they've had very strong defenses, but if you look at what got them over the hump, it was quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson, just a, just a generational quarterback uh, uh, you know, with, with the strong rest of the team. But if you look at the recruiting classes at the time, they're actually very similar to what we have right now, maybe actually even a little bit worse. So you certainly need a strong defense, but I don't think you need a top five defense. Uh, you need a strong defense, but if you have that elite, elite offense with an elite quarterback, that can allow you to accelerate your progress. And then after that, then you can actually really start, what they did is they really started stacking big recruiting classes on top of that. Now they're closer to that top talent level. I think the Georgia formula where they basically, they didn't necessarily have that 
that that generational quarterback. Certainly, Stetson Bennett was a he's a very good college quarterback, but he certainly was not someone like a Deshaun Watson or a Trevor Lawrence. They they got there by just stacking ridiculous recruiting classes on top of each other and having just some of the best defenses of all time. So I, I think it's like you need a generational quarterback with a good defense. Uh, but if you if if you get there if you get to that level through defense, it has to truly be like an all time great defense. And of course, you need exactly. you need to be competent on on the offensive side of the ball as well. And as Brett said, uh, you know, I hope we haven't had as much luck at the quarterback position. It's been pretty frustrating. Ian Book is is as long as I've been a fan, Ian Book's. Uh, I guess Deshaun Kaiser had that one really good year. That was pretty exciting. But I would say, as long as I've been a fan, Ian Book is, is the best Notre Dame quarterback we've had. And he was, he was very good, but he's certainly not at the level to to get you really over the top. Um, I mean, you just watch him in the NFL. He can barely even even crack crack the roster. So hopefully CJ Carr is that person. Um, I think, you know, I think at some of these positions like receiver and corner, we've been recruiting a little bit better. So I think that's that's a positive uh, Morrison, I think, as Brett said, like he was not a top recruit, but he clearly, clearly is a hit. He's clearly going to be a really good player. He already is, honestly. I think that buys us some time, and then hopefully we can kind of keep, uh, keep recruiting well at that position. Uh, I think, yeah, Brett, you mentioned. I think Gray, Christian Gray, was around a top fifty yeah, guy. I, I combined our recruits. You Micah did. Bell was a uh, was a top two fifty. Christian but they, Gray, they dropped right, right around top hundred. He dropped a little in the rankings. They both but dropped two incoming top three hundred corners. Yeah, at one point they were both, I think, top one hundred recruits. And then they, uh, if you want to get your tinfoil hats out for for Notre Dame recruiting <laughs> rankings, <laughs> you would say, of course, that they dropped. But yeah, so they ended up around a hundred <laughs> and, and uh, two fifty. So. So we'll, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think um, I think we've made some progress, but we got to continue to build on it. What we really need to do is we need to get those difference, those true difference makers, those top top recruits at receiver and, and corner, and we haven't we haven't gotten that yet. Yeah, I think um, building off of both your points, um, to my, uh, Mike, to your point first, like I think getting the Georgia like type of formula getting that amount of recruits is like not really, yeah, it's not Notre Dame's path just because of how many times you have to hit on there where it's a Brett mm-hmm. point, Brett's point. We need to figure out the quarterback formula anyway. And the recruits that we're getting in the room, it seems like we would be a bit, a little bit closer, even maybe like Kenny Minchie to four star guy, but we we're flipping guys to come to Notre Dame now, you know, or we've done that in the past before too, but now we're getting like some really good, good guys to flip too. Um, but even then on, I agree on the corners for sure on the wide receiver front. I think like, it doesn't help that the last couple teams have had crazy wide receiver cores. Like if you look at 2019 LSU, Justin Jefferson, who's killing it in the NFL, Jamar chase. But before that, like going back to, let's say the Clemson formula, they didn't, they don't have guys, uh, wide receivers that are killing it in the NFL right now. So I think the, the wide receiver position is a little bit more dime a dozen where I think that that could be a more, let's say deficient position. But if we get the quarterback right, quarterback right corners, then I think we are in a solid spot. So I'm not I'm not super worried about the wide receiver position. I, I guess is what I would say. But and I'm I'm less worried about the wide receiver position because I'd actually say unlike cornerback in the last two cycles, Rico Flores, Jaden Greathouse, Braylon James are three top 200 recruits. Obviously. Um, a lot of young guys on the year this year as freshmen and sophomores getting a lot of playing time. So in a way where we maybe aren't like corner, it feels like the wide receiver room is getting, um, you know, a, a lot more depth going. Yeah. And they're not, it's not five stars, but if you look at that wide receiver room right now, it's, it's a lot of pretty, pretty high four stars, like very, and you got to mm-hmm. think if you have that many good players, that many good, 
that much talent in one position group, there are definitely going to be some that, that continue to rise up. I mean, even someone like Jaden Thomas this past year, he he really came on strong at the end of the year. Um, so hopefully we'll just see more of that. Tobias Merriweather, that's someone I'm very optimistic about. I think he's yeah. someone who showed a lot of showed a lot of potential. You give him another another offseason to continue to develop. Um, I think he's someone who could make a big jump this next year. Yeah, also, don't forget true. that Deshaun Watson was throwing the ball to Mike Williams, who's tearing it up in the NFL, too. So it's not like he had no <laughs> wide receivers outside. It just maybe wasn't, you know, Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase and, you know, yeah. one after another at, at yeah. Bama, but certainly had had real NFL caliber talent uh, getting the ball out to him. Even going back to, um, like, Sammy Watkins, like, Clemson's had real bona fide NFL studs going through that program for a while. But agree, definitely not to the level of like the LSU's and Alabama's the last few years. Yeah, and and I, honestly, we have too. I mean, if you look at some of the receivers we put into the league, someone like Will Fuller, someone who, when he's healthy, has been a very effective NFL wide receiver. Someone like Chase Claypool has put up some good numbers. I mean, obviously, it's not someone like a Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, but we, we, we've put some pretty good uh, NFL wide receivers or into the league. So, um, you know, I think it's uh, yeah, it seems like that's an area that we've actually done all right in um and yeah so i i I generally it's we need to continue like recruiting it well and hopefully we can get some bona fide five stars but it it is a position that we've actually i think we're in an okay spot in yeah Yeah. all right uh well for the last thing we're going to talk about today just before we wrap up uh, we're going to sort of return to the quarterback position um as many of you will know sam hartman transferred in from wake forest this offseason to be notre dame's quarterback um which leaves tyler buckner who began the year as the starter for Notre Dame this year, and then ended up winning the bowl game against South Carolina as the starter, being injured in between, um, sort of in a no-man's land. Do you all think that there's a role for Buckner to play now that Hartman's in the system, or will it just be the fact that he sees there's no future there and ends up transferring out by the time the season starts? I'm happy to go first on this. It's a little bit of an unknown, but if I'm Tyler Buckner, who's really barely played any football in the last five years, right? He had an ACL injury in high school. California canceled his senior year because of COVID. Um, redshirted his first year, spent a lot of this year hurt. Like he's played less than 10 games of live football since 2018. Like that, that's a wild statement to say. So even just for what he has on film to go and transfer is not much. And I think he's going to be in a unique position where Hartman's only got one year of eligibility left. Mm-hmm. And CJ Carr, obviously a very high-end recruit coming in, but upperclassman Buckner with CJ Carr redshirting or needing to go win that job, like Buckner will, will be in that QB competition with two years of eligibility left. I think if he loses that QB competition, he would go, right? Like if he, you know, if he loses out to a true freshman, he would probably look to go and play elsewhere and, and use his two years mm-hmm. of remaining eligibility. So I don't know how all that shakes out. But what I actually am excited about is he still brings an athletic ability that Hartman doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like Hartman's mobile, he but but he runs the mesh read, but he, he's not a guy that's gonna go, you know, light up a four five forty like Tyler Buckner can. And now that we know what Buckner excels at, we saw it against South Carolina. We maybe didn't against a really elite Ohio State game and let's just not even talk about Marshall. Um, but we know what good looks like now for Tyler Buckner. And he was gripping and ripping it and made some mistakes and had some turnovers. And that's what you'd expect out of a guy that hadn't played in, you know, four or five months. Um, 
But I think regardless of Hartman's the guy, there's got to be packages for Buckner of bringing him in. I mean, heck, bring him in to play running back. Like, I don't care. But he's clearly talented enough on this team to get the ball in his hands in at least some sub packages like he did his freshman year, but now way more developed, way more experienced. Um, I think there's definitely a role for him on the roster this year, depending how that shakes out and what data points we, we get from him over the course of this year. Yeah, hundred percent think that we should be thinking about Tyler Buckner competing for a starting job a year from now. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Brett. I think, um, so I think just this year, in terms of the role that he could have, assuming he sticks around, he, he's a very he's a different type of quarterback than Sam Hartman, as you mentioned. So I, I think there should be some sub packages for him. There should be some unique. There's some unique plays that we can we can get out of him that we can't get out of Hartman just because of his athletic ability. Um, but I guess thinking more about the path that Buckner is likely to take, we we really don't know. I mean, I, I certainly he seems like a Notre Dame guy. It seems like he likes his experience at Notre Dame. But that was true of Drew Pine as well. Drew Pine was about as much of a Notre Dame guy as, as they come, and, and and he transferred. So ultimately, the prospect for playing time is going to win out. I think this year we certainly have, I think we do actually have something that we could sell to him uh, to keep him around. I think, as Brett said, Hartman's only around for one year. Buckner is someone who, at this point, is very familiar with our systems. I guess we'll see what Parker's is, but he's someone who's who's very familiar with our with our different players. Like he, he's someone who has a little bit more experience now, um, at least within uh, within Notre Dame. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I do think that um, I think when you when you kind of sell that to him, it's like, hey, you're gonna be the you're probably you're gonna be the backup. We're gonna have some packages for you. You're gonna get some playing time. I think that's probably enough for him to to keep him around because the prospect of fighting for the start, starting spot next year, I think that that's probably what he's going to be looking to. Um, and of course, when you're a backup, like odds are it, it's hard for a quarterback to stay healthy the entire year. So he's he's the next man up. So if, if Hartman gets, goes down, Buckner's right up. Who knows? I mean, that, you know, you don't want anything bad to happen, but it's certainly like possible Hartman could be out for a couple games and Buckner plays or you know, it would be awful if Hartman went down for for a large chunk of the season, but then that would mean that uh, the Buckner plays a lot. And in terms of his upside, I think, as Brett mentioned, he hasn't actually played a lot of live games. Like when I said he's experienced within Notre Dame, it's it's kind of with our offensive system, and that's assuming Parker doesn't doesn't change it a lot. But uh, he, the guy, he is a very exciting player to watch. Like his upside is very clear. We saw that we saw that in the bowl game, um, the inexperience. We saw that there too. But I, I do think. With with him, my impression has always been that if he can ever just stay healthy, if he can ever just stay healthy and just string together enough games and and play play a bunch of live action, I feel like he has the potential to to develop. I feel like it seems like all like the foundation of a potentially like really good quarterback is there. It's just he can't. He just has never been able to play, cons, you know, play for an extended period of time consistently. So. And I mean that that also factors into it as well. Even though he has all this upside, I mean if he can't stay on the field. You know that also that makes it like challenging for for his prospects prospects down the line. He's certainly shown himself to be someone who's who's a bit injury prone. So I, I I think it's I think if he can stay healthy, I feel like he definitely has a shot starting down the line. I, I think he'll he'll probably stick around this year. Certainly, if someone like Kenny Minchie makes a big jump or CJ Carr is just a revelation um, when he gets when he gets to campus, I mean I think that would definitely change his his calculus. And then in that instance, he would probably he would almost certainly jump and transfer somewhere else. Yeah, and not not only does he need to stay on the field, but he needs to throw he needs to throw passes on the field. Like in in his uh I think he said ten games, right, Brett? Hundred and eighteen attempts, passing attempts, like compared to Hartman who has sixteen hundred, right? 
So it, even then, like, I feel like that first season, if he's a starter, is still he needs to stay on the field, but also needs to still throw passes. Like, we can't just be running him, like, 60% of the time and him throwing the other 40% of the time, which is kind of where I think he's never really going to be, like, Notre Dame's option. I don't know if he's going to win that battle um, come next year, let's say. Because at the end of the day, you just do need to be, like, a good throw over the football to play quarterback. You can't just go out of uh, athleticism. We kind of tried that with, like, Winbush, for example, I think. And that season, we just we had a ceiling, you know? Like, we, we did okay in 2017, but we had a ceiling still. Um, luckily, like, we – hopefully, I, I should say, we don't have the fascination with running a two-quarterback system that, like, Brian Kelly did in some years. Um, and that he's just, like, a Taysom Hill, like – we need a little spark sometimes, maybe even put him at receiver sometimes, you know, and let him do a jet sweep or whatever. So, yeah, I think like more pack like sub packages, not, mm-hmm. you know, open QB competition. I, and yeah. I really like your point on 118 pass attempts. And in those, he's only completed 57% of his throws yeah. and he's got more interceptions than touchdowns. Now, I yeah. get it. Like, Limited sample size, stop and start, comes in in relief, injury, not injured, playing Ohio State. Like, I get all the context in the world. But that's why I don't think he's really transferable right now. Like, I don't think there's a Power mm-hmm. 5 program that's going to take that. Now, if he wants to go play Group of 5 and, you know, just get a starter's role, I get it. I think he himself, in whatever package he has at Notre Dame this year or opportunities he gets, if Hartman gets injured, let's not forget, Hartman almost had to medically retire before last season because of a blood clot issue. So, you know, Hartman in and of himself isn't necessarily ironclad on the injury front. And so... When Buckner's number is called, he's got to complete more than 60 or, you know, 57% of his passes and yeah. he's got to get more touchdowns and interceptions. Like, like there's some real basics that if he's not a good passer, there's, that's why you need to load a QB room, right? That's why you have Minchie. That's why you have CJ Carr coming and that's why you go and get Hartman. That's why you go and get Jack Cohn. Like you have to do that to keep competition at the all important position. And, and right now, Buckner's not a slam dunk case to say like he deserves a job at any point in time. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to think that if he stays healthy, he'll be able to develop, but we don't, we don't, we don't know that for sure. So, and the fact that he is injury prone, that just makes the odds tougher. So if you could guarantee to me that he would, that he was going to be able to stay healthy, then I would, you know, I think I would be, I'd be feeling better about his odds, but yeah, it's just a, it's just a, a a tricky situation for him. But Brett, as you made the point on, like he's not super transferable right now. So his path to playing time, honestly, is probably best. Or at least his path to playing time at a high level of college football is is probably the best at Notre Dame right now. So now, look, if he loses the starting spot next year to, you know, and on someone younger than him, then obviously that that changes things. But for for this year and 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 for the the chance of winning the job next year, it seems like it seems like Notre Dame is probably still the best situation. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, I think we're going to wrap up there with our episode for today. Um, Brett and Michael, I'll give you guys a quick uh, chance at the end to plug your stuff going forward, and then Jared and I will wrap up with a little bit of a plug of our stuff as well. Absolutely. Check us out. We're on Twitter at Gyrish underscore talk. That's G-Irish, no apostrophe, G-Irish underscore talk. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, you name it. Uh, go check us out, leave a review, uh, subscribe, get get those downloads going, and, and ho- hopefully this is a great opportunity for listeners of the Lunch Pail Guys to come and check out Garish Talk and listeners of Garish Talk to go and check out the uh, Lunch Pail Guys. Really appreciate the collaboration on, on this show.
Yeah, absolutely. And we are on all the socials as well on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, we're at lunchpailguys underscore at the end. Um, and again, you can find us wherever uh, you find our podcasts on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Again, make sure you're subscribing and downloading. We really appreciate it. And yeah, we appreciate uh, your collaboration today as well, guys. And we look forward uh, to everything this brings. Mm-hmm.